Welcome back to the RDD RPG podcast with John and Hannah. It's Friend or Foe Friday and inspired by a recent voicemail we received from Jason Connolly of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Thank you very much for leaving that message, Jason. We're going to be looking at The Mimic. Okay, so Hannah, you've got the AD&D Monster Manual 2nd Edition there. What does it say about the Mimic inside? So, for anyone that doesn't know what a Mimic is, it's a creature, it looks like a treasure chest. Well, not just a treasure chest, it can look like other things, but typically in the artwork it is shown as being a treasure chest with like a huge gaping mouth on it. Yeah, it does actually give you a list of other stuff it composed as, including stonework, doors, statues, stairs, and other common items. But usually it's a treasure chest. Yeah, and I mean, let's face it, we all know why that is, because in a D&D game, player characters love them treasure chests. The players go and investigate it. It turns out to be this monster, which is very like the luggage from Discworld. It opens up its treasure chest door. Well, yeah, the luggage from Discworld, I assume, is inspired from early D&D. You'd have to check the numbers, because they're both late 70s stuff. Hey, this is Future John here. Just to say, I've checked those numbers. The Mimic made its first appearance in the Dungeons & Dragons fantasy role-playing game in the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition Monster Manual that was published in 1977. The Colour of Magic, the first Discworld book, came out in 1983. And you can definitely see a lot of inspiration from D&D in certainly the early Discworld novels. Anyway, back to your scheduled programme. But yeah... Looks like the luggage from Discworld. It chomps the players. Uh, sometimes it has gribbly tentacles and stuff. Um, yeah, because it can like extrude like pseudopods, can't it? Like yeah. batter the player characters. Yeah. Um, pseudopod that inflicts 3d4 points of damage. So it's a pretty nasty enemy if you get close enough to it. Oh, I can see here. Um, it also says it covers itself with a glue-like substance. So... Presumably, as you go in to like open the treasure chest and you go to lift the lid, you're stuck to it. And Any it creature that you. touches a mimic is held fast. Alcohol will weaken the glue in three rounds, enabling the player to break three, or the player can make an attempt to break to do an open doors roll. Good grief, I remember that system. That's, um, that's old school. <laughs> that's what it's all about. So, yeah, mimics. Um... Other thing that's mentioned here is that they're created by wizards to protect themselves from treasure hunters. Yeah, now we have actually done a bit of research and had a bit of a look around, see if we could find whether there were any guidelines for, you know, like how high level player characters might make a mimic. But we haven't been able to find anything so far. If anyone out there knows where there are guidelines, feel free to drop us a voicemail or an email and let us know but at the moment i'm sort of assuming it's one of those in times of your wizards made these to protect and it's all a bit woolly and sort of in the background so obviously luggage from Discworld, but can you think of any other examples of similar like creatures or things in other stories or games 
Okay, not not so much specifically mimics because I think mimics in this incarnation have very clearly been designed to fill a particular niche in D and D. Rather like the Living Wall we talked about in the last friend or foe Friday episode, they're halfway between a trap and a monster. Mm-hmm. They're designed to sort of trick the players. You know, you go in going, "Oh, I'm going to get my hand on that sweet sweet gold pieces," mm-hmm. and then, "Oh no, it's a monster, and you have to fight off another monster." So I think it's designed to fill a very specific niche in sort of D&D role-playing. But obviously there are a lot of examples of shape changes of various kinds throughout mythology. I'll give a couple of examples. There's the Leshy, which is a woodland spirit from Slavic mythology, a sort of lord of the forest that protects animals and nature. They've got beards made of grass, bark-like skin, often with like tails and hooves. They're supposed to have like a really close bond to the forest and they can take on a human form to disguise themselves as a common peasant and they can shrink themselves to like the size of a blade of grass or grow to the height of a mighty tree. Obviously, these the Selkies from Icelandic, Irish, uh, Scottish mythology who have the ability to transform themselves between seal and human form. There's various berserkers who can transform themselves into bears and wolves as they fight. There's the puka of Celtic folklore, which is like a sort of diminutive fairy that can assume a variety of terrifying forms. Although I seem to remember that most of the forms it actually takes on in mythology are sort of animals, so I'm not really sure how those are terrifying, but you know. Obviously, there's the Wendigo, the sort of winter spirit, mm-hmm. which is associated with cannibalism. Uh, various other creatures. Obviously, we've got the the ever-popular, nowadays, lycanthropes, your werewolves, etc. And, obviously, your vampires that could turn into bats and wolves and mist and stuff like that. And I think with a lot of these creatures, the sort, especially the more sort of horror-based ones... The idea is they're either sort of horror because it's like a body horror thing, you know. You think you're safe because like a human can't get through this area. Oh no, the vampire's turned into a mist and it's leaking under the windows so Mm -hmm. you're not safe anywhere. Or it's that whole bait and switch where like, oh, we're going to go and rescue this poor person over here. Oh no, it turns out that poor person's the savage beast that actually caused the problems. Or it's a sort of a trickster vibe, you know, like the Fae mm-hmm. using the shape-shifting powers to trick people and make sure they get their comeuppance, which does tie back into the mimic because again, it's a sort of it's a trick that you play on the player characters. Here's the treasure, bait and switch at the last minute. Oh no, the treasure's actually a monster. See, I've always seen them as more of like a computer game, board game type monster. All right, okay. Which. It can be fun when you're doing D&D and you've got all your dungeon pieces laid out and you're playing with the miniatures and stuff and you put down a miniature for a chest in that room that the players have just lit up Mm -hmm. and they all start scrambling to it and then you swap it for the miniature of the Mimic. That's just like a classic moment for a GM if you enjoy doing miniatures combat. Although when you mentioned it sort of like being like a a board game thing, I was flashing to... um, you know the old like Mario computer games, like Mario mm-hmm. Land, when you get to the end to rescue the princess, and it goes, <laughs> and the princess turns into like Bowser or King Cooper, whatever you want to call him, and it's like, oh no, the princess isn't really here, now you've got to go on to the next level. So, I mean, I personally, I think the, the, the potential problem with these monsters is I can imagine some players getting like pretty knocked off if you've just like spent ages like hacking your way through various dungeon denizens, and you finally triumphed, and you're like, oh, 
here it is, the treasure we've like lost three of our companions for. But we finally made it, and then the ref's like, mm, 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 it's actually a monster, and you have to fight yet another monster. Yeah. So I could see it being a bit of a problem in that case. I mean, I don't know about you, but the way I'd try and get around that is I'd maybe sort of telegraph a little bit in advance that all's not as it appeared so let, let's say to use the example of like wizards making these to like protect their actual treasure maybe they come across some other shape changed things or sort of like prototypes of the mimic earlier on which will give canny players a clue to like oh you know we best proceed with caution then they'll get the reward if they're like hold on a sec guys don't go for that treasure chest let's check it out first and they investigate then that the reward for their cleverness is like they're not taken unaware so but that, you could use it like that see again like telegraphing it there's no reason that you wouldn't have one of these in amongst half a dozen other chests of gold yeah. that's what they're supposed to be there for so if you then have like a pointed bit where the guards won't go anywhere near the gold because they're clearly a bit frightened of going close to it that's again giving you players a little hint that there might be something else there but you've also got your other like rewards there waiting for them once they've got past that monster that's it. I mean, another great thing is that these monsters are really good for uh, players who play things like bards and sort of scholarly types. You know, people who can make those research roles to like find mm-hmm. out a bit about like where you're going, the dungeon you're going into. So, if you're going into to the long abandoned tower of an ancient wizard and you're like the bard and you can make a few roles and be like, oh yeah, he was famed for like creating like creatures and stuff like that that'll get you on your guard straight away and it can be a nice way for people to use those sort of background mm-hmm. research skills so so a quick look if there's anything significantly different well the first thing i'd say significantly different is the artwork has been book. significantly upgraded even though it still shows that iconic sort of picture of a mimic as a treasure chest with a massive tongue coming out of it and a big huge fanged maw i think i still like the old artwork so this version doesn't have any origins for mimics i'm assuming that's so it can leave it up to you if you choose to use them in your game well it does say Um, there's there's a bit here it says cunning hunters they normally live and hunt alone so that would suggest to me that if they've got feeding grounds and stuff like that they're an actual creature well yeah it talks about uh, them evolving and having predatory intelligence yes i i I know that um a lot of the monsters in the sort of older D&D, when they couldn't think of a decent origin for it, they were like, wizard did it. <laughs> so maybe they're trying to get a bit away from that in the sort of newer edition. But it's still got similar abilities. It's got the shape change. It's got the um, like the adhesive touch. Yeah, much more simply worded, obviously, and uh, much more concise for the stat block there, Yeah, which is always a nice thing in the newer versions. Yeah. Right, so we've had a quick look at the Mimic in the AD&D Monster Manual and the 5th edition Monster Manual, and we've talked a little bit about mythological shape changes very briefly, because although there's not really a Mimic as such, there's plenty of creatures that do mimic the appearance of other creatures. So can we think of any other ways you could use the Mimic in your game, or you could put like a bit of a fresh spin on them? I think the most obvious way to do it, and... Uh, sort of without changing the stats or anything like that is 
the mimic if you mention a mimic to anyone you say what's a mimic like they'll be like it's a treasure chest with a mouth <laughs> that's the iconic description of it but as you said earlier in there it describes that it can take on other forms like doors mm-hmm. walls stairs so i think the the first and easiest way to give it a bit of a fresh bit is just don't have it be a treasure chest so maybe if you want to do that whole bait and switch thing maybe they do find the actual treasure chests and then when they try and go up the stairway to get out of that room maybe it's the stairs that are the mimic yeah so perhaps they do all the whole thing like oh you know we're not sure it's have the treasure chest with the 10 foot pole check check everything out oh no it's sound we've got the treasure chest and who's going to think oh yeah we'll just check the stairs as well on a way out or you could even do like the old terminator too you know where he's the bit of floor and he like <laughs> up into the form of like robert patrick or whatever his name is and um you could have the you could have the mimic do that. It could just be like a piece of flagstone floor, sort of like laid over it. Maybe it's been trained or programmed by the wizard or or whatever, so that it only attacks people when they leave. So that's I think that's a couple of ways you could use it. Do you think of any more? Well, obviously, if we're talking shape changes, sad little tricky that I am, I can't help but point out Odo and the founders in Deep Space Nine and how Odo uses a lot of his shape-changing abilities as a policeman for surveillance purposes of various different kinds. What does it say about the intelligence of like the mimics in there? The, they, they must have at least some intelligence to be able to like assume the form of things. The fifth ed one just says that they have like animal predatory intelligence. Yeah, and they've got intelligence five. Intelligence of five. What about whereas AD&D? the AD&D one gives them two versions the smaller version has average intelligence of 8 to 10 and the bigger version has intelligence of 2 to 4 so now that's quite interesting they seem to have downgraded their intelligence and made them more sort of instinctual sort of like actual animals rather than like created things now as you were saying if they've got average intelligence and they can be trained or they mm. they have intelligence where they're they're sentient effectively you could if you if you were a, a wizard who'd got a load of these or someone else who'd got a load of these you could think of how good spies they'd make if you were like right i don't want you to attack anyone i don't want you to do anything like that all i want you to do is i want you to disguise yourself as this noble's like dresser and i want you to sit there I'm going to come and collect you in a week and I want you to remember everything he says when he's talking to this person. Then tell me when I come and pick you up. Mm. Or if, you, if you're the wizard who's made it, perhaps you've made some sort of scrying dealio where you can like, see through its eyes. And just imagine you could like, seed all these mimics throughout the kingdom and it almost like, like you have eyes everywhere. Like you look into your crystal ball or whatever, you can peer out through the eyes of your mimics. That'd be an amazing sort of spy slash information gathering ring. So when it talks about the uh, habitat and society here, it doesn't specifically say it anywhere that I can see, but it seems to imply that the mimics themselves, as they grow, they lose their intelligence. So they're quite intelligent when they're smaller, and then they're like getting bigger. And so well, sir, I don't think it's a case that as they get bigger, they get less intelligence because the when they put more than one stat block in the ADD monster manual it tends to mean they're distinct like different species of the creature all right hang, so, on, hang on hang on so looking at it although it doesn't specifically say it would imply to me that as they're getting bigger they're losing their intelligence 
uh, it says that they start off quite intelligent and that they're happy to exchange information for food. And then it also says that wizards who use them as guardians sometimes find them to be less than enthusiastic. Sort of, without specifically saying it, implying that like as they get a bit older, as they get a bit bigger and a bit fatter, and they've been stuck working for the same wizard for a while, they get a bit sick of it. See, I don't think I, I'd, 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 I quite like that idea as like something for if a player did get one of these as a pet. Yeah. yeah, it could start off quite interesting and quite intelligent, and as you say, able to do all these like little tasks for the player. But as it gets bigger, it starts to get a bit thicker and a bit more violent. See, I don't know that personally I'd have read it like that because it says here common mimics are quite intelligent and then it says killer mimics and I know that the the way they tend to put the stats in the books they tend to put them as different uh, as different species. Now I can see you pointing at the, it, the, the fact smaller more intelligent common mimics and larger less intelligent killer mimics but it mm-hmm. does say there are two varieties. Fair enough. But as you say... We're talking about fantasy monsters, so you could read it either way. And if you're the GM, whatever way you read it, that's the way it is in your campaign world. And I think that's the that's the benefit of creatures like this, where the background is maybe a little bit woolly and a little bit more indistinct. That yeah, okay, you have to you maybe have to do a bit of legwork to, to sort of fit them into your campaign. But if you're willing to do that, you can make them very specific to your world. So as we're talking about, if you've got like your spy master with his like ring of like mimic spies, that's probably not something that most people are going to have come across. It'd be something new for the player characters. But in terms of actual like stat based work, you can just use the stats straight out of the book. You've just reskinned it a little bit. Mm. Okay, so that's our brief look at the mimic. If you've got any ideas or suggestions for other ways that people could use mimics in their games or any topics, monsters, whatever you want us to cover in future episodes. There'll be details shortly about how you can get in touch with us. We hope you've enjoyed the episode. And until we speak to you again, take care. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed that episode. If you want to get in touch with us, you can drop us an email. The address is rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to leave us a voicemail message, you can head over to our page on speakpipe.com and that will allow you to leave a 90 second voicemail and you might even be featured in a future show. There's a link to this included in the show notes as well as a link to our website and other places where you can contact us. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you soon.